when we aren't proactive about diversity and inclusion and we are reactive instead. What we actually tend to do is continue to marginalise and exclude the same groups of people that have been historically excluded and marginalised. And that's ultimately because we as people are flawed. Hello and a very warm welcome to this, our second series of transformation stories from the award-winning Valtech Cafe. Last year, we spoke to more than 25 global brands and industry experts about their experiences of digital transformation, and this series is no different. From airlines to retailers, manufacturers to healthcare companies, this is a podcast series that strips away the digital buzzwords and challenges what we all thought we knew about our industry. Covering topics from the circular economy to customer experience, emerging tech to composable architectures, we're removing the filters and getting to the bottom of what's really going on in digital today. I'm Tizzy Philp, and welcome to the podcast. Listed as one of the UK's top most influential women in tech and an international multi-award winner for her services to diversity and inclusion in industry, Cherie is the global diversity, equity and inclusion leader here at Valtech. Beginning her working life in engineering gave Cherie first-hand experience of the problems she now works to fix. Her impressive career to date is complemented by the huge number of awards that she has accumulated for services to diversity and inclusion in the tech industry in particular. Born in Sri Lanka, Cherie was adopted and raised in Ireland. With a keen interest in technology from an early age, she studied computer science at Queen's University Belfast and then went on to enjoy engineering roles within the public sector before taking the leap to lead the expansion of global non-profit Women Who Code, which works to change the face of technology, and launched the group's expansion across the UK, building remote teams and creating partnerships with organisations to create meaningful change in this work. A contributor at Forbes, Cherie is also the author of Demanding More, a book which aims to teach readers about how deliberate exclusion has been in systems and society so we can be purposefully and deliberately inclusive moving forward. So Cherie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Lovely to be here. Let's set the scene first and start with a quick overview of what true diversity really looks like in businesses and why it's so important that there is genuine change happening across all industries. Absolutely. Um, I think it's, it's really important to take a step back first when we think about society and when we think about how we exist in the world, regardless of the influence of technology. We're talking about huge diversity within that pool of people. Um, People are not a monolith and society is not a monolith. And so what's really key when we then talk about technology is actually how can we be sure that we are servicing and providing all of those people with what they need as opposed to a very small subset. And that's really important because actually when we aren't proactive about diversity and inclusion and we are reactive instead, What we actually tend to do is continue to marginalise and exclude the same groups of people that have been historically excluded and marginalised. And that's ultimately because we as people are flawed. You know, nobody is perfect as as much as anybody might like to say that they are. But actually, we, we are very flawed and we are very biased. And obviously, that translates 
into technology systems and design systems. And until we proactively change how we create, how we develop, how we test, how we roll out these solutions, we simply can't say that we are providing something that does map to everyone and everyone is incredibly different. So it's really key that we give that the time, the energy and the respect really that it deserves when we're doing this work. You've got great experience in designing and executing on these DNI strategies in global firms. I know that you've worked at Monzo and Deloitte in the past, just to name a couple. What's your first consideration then when embarking on a challenge like that? Where do you need to start? I think for me, and especially with someone with a technical background, what I think is incredibly important is understanding where you're at right now. And for me, that's with data. Now, it's very easy to say, oh, we are data driven when it comes to DNI. But actually, what I'm specifically looking at is very nuanced data on our employee demographics and also the inclusion data, the perception data of what it means for different people from different groups to exist in your company and to work there and hopefully thrive. Now, without any data, it's very easy to make assumptions. And if you remember what I just said, people are biased and people are flawed. And that means our assumptions are biased and flawed. So what's really key is actually when we talk about what we're doing from a DNI perspective, that we take data in as that core pillar. So anytime I join a new company or anytime I'm working with a company on this work, what I try to do firstly is understand what data they have, if any. If they don't have any, then we need to go on that process around what we can do. The second thing is, especially in global countries, um, this this doesn't map globally. Um, no no regions are the same. You, you People should recognise that, for example, taking an EMEA perspective and trying to map it globally or a North America perspective and trying to map it globally doesn't make sense because, again, you're making assumptions that what happens in those regions is the same as everywhere else just because they may be the dominant regions in your company. And they don't map. They're very different. Culture is different. Inclusion is different. So what's really key, again, from that data piece is tailoring what you're asking for based on those areas and obviously within the legal legislations and so on that exist in different regions. Don't underestimate how different it is whenever you're doing this because, for me, I always describe my work as um, really delving into the nuance it's very easy to take a high level view of inclusion, but what I'm trying to get at is at the very root, what are we talking about? Not, you know, the first level or the second level or even the third, but actually really deep down analytics. So as we cannot really understand, you know, are we doing something that's working or actually are we doing something that isn't working? Because with that information, we can pivot very, very quickly. And ultimately, that's what you have to do. Some really great points there, uh, Cherie, and so interesting about the difference of needing different types of diversity across different local, global regions. No one size fits all, as you say. So what are the challenges that you come up against most regularly, would you say? And what do you think those are really founded in? So you talked about getting to, you know, the bottom of what's really going on here. What is that founded in and how can organisations work to overturn those challenges as a collective unit? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's very easy for people to jump head first into trying to fix everything. Okay, you know, when we talk about diversity and inclusion, it's such a broad spectrum of things. It's such a broad spectrum of people, of issues, of nuances. And it's very easy to try and do everything at once and end up doing nothing. Um, 
you know what it's like yourself in your life if you're completely overwhelmed you end up just being stuck in a position where you don't do anything you can't Can't move move forward yeah Yeah. you can't move forward you don't know what to do and actually that happens a lot in organizations with this ultimately that happens because for the most part a lot of dni work is brought up through employees voicing concerns saying something is important and so on now obviously when you have more than one employee that's lots of different people that could be five people that could be 10 people that could be 6000 that could be 2 million whatever it could be and actually what's key is that you prioritize it's very very easy to get stuck into trying to fix everything at once so what i do is really sitting down understanding the lay of the land where are we why are we here and what have we done in the past if anything to fix that and then prioritize based on that information now that means being rigorous And it's difficult because ultimately it's very easy for people to then feel like you don't care about an issue maybe that they have raised to feel like, well, why are we prioritizing, let's say, gender and ethnicity inclusion over, let's say, very specific LGBT plus inclusion? Now, the key thing here is all of these groups intersect. People don't exist in bubbles. But when we talk about data, we're intersecting that data, but we still have to understand what our priorities are so we can really move that dial and consider those outliers and those different bits and pieces. But sometimes organizations struggle with that. So what I always say to people is if you've not done this before, firstly, you need to get expertise. Passion and skill set are two different things here. But caring about diversity and inclusion and delivering a data-driven strategy that aligns with the business strategy are two different things for the most part get expertise to help you define this. The second thing is prioritize. If you've not done it before, look at doing potentially one to two things per business quarter, or maybe even just one thing if you feel like, you know what, we really want to smash this part. We really want to do this part really well, but I don't want to overcommit and then do nothing because doing something excellent is better than doing three or four things in a medium way, in a, in, a, in, a, in a disappointing way for your employees, because really this is for your employees. And the second thing that sometimes people and businesses really struggle with is actually the time that it takes to do this. I think it's very easy for people um, to discuss diversity and inclusion. I, I use a three pillar method, which I take people from awareness to education and, and action. So all of my strategies follow that because you can never assume that everybody's in the same place, firstly. But what tends to happen is that people expect as soon as there is an awareness on an issue that you click your fingers and then we're right into action. We're right into doing, we're right into changing. And very simply, organization transformation doesn't work like that, especially when you're a big business and a big global business. So sometimes it's really key for you to set expectations with all of your employees. You know, you recognize that there is a problem at hand. You recognize that this is what the data is telling us, telling us and what you are telling us. These are the things that we're going to roll out to try and shift and change that. And this is the timelines that we're working to. No, it will not be fixed next week. No, it may not be fixed even next month. Maybe it's a two year plan. Maybe it's 12 months. Maybe it's more than that. But setting those expectations up front is really, really important because otherwise your employees get disengaged because they feel like I've shared things that are emotionally taxing, but yet you're not doing anything with it. And what's really key about that is keeping everyone in the loop ultimately. Um, But that can be one of the biggest pitfalls that I see repeatedly on this work. There's a really helpful piece of advice because I think a lot of the time, as you say, there's a lot of talk about doing things, but then the actual putting something into action 
people really struggle with that. So let's talk about that in a bit more detail then and go into here, you know, more thoroughly. What are the details of the processes that you put in place to build that strategy? So I know that's something that you're currently undertaking at Valtech, and maybe you want to talk about that work in a bit more detail, but what should people prioritize? What are the tangible things that they can do to get started? So for me, what's really key is actually what are we working on? So sometimes people tend to create DNI strategies that go so wide, but they don't have very specific pillars. Now, having pillars allows you to align what you're talking about, why you're talking about it and what you're going to do in a way that everybody in your business should resonate with. This should be, especially for a global business, this should map outside of any region, regardless of whether you're talking about Latin America, APAC, EMEA or North America. You should have something that makes sense to everyone. And so for us, for example, at Valtech, the five pillars that we're working towards on our strategy is hiring, accountability, inclusivity, community and education. Now, those five things, you'll, you'll hear them and they you obviously think, yeah, those overlap and they do overlap, but they're also very separate too. So it allows me as our global director to sit down and provide f- clear frameworks and initiatives aligned to those different bits and pieces that we can collaborate on globally, but implement on regionally and locally. Because like I said, nuance is key here. When we talk about accelerating people into leadership, for example, that's going to be different in Latin America than it is in APAC and the other regions. So we have to be sure that what we do maps outside of that. What's also really key once you have those pillars is thinking about where where are you trying to get to? Sometimes it's very easy in DNI to, I guess, have have a um, short sightedness where you see, you know, right away what's up close to you, what's happening in the next six months, but maybe not so much what's happening later, what's happening in the future. How is your business going to scale? And that can mean that you create a strategy that works for the here and now. Now, if the last, you know, a year and a half or two years has shown us anything, the here and now is very different as to what (laughs) happens. Things change every week. We're, We're thrown into all of these different scenarios. And what that means is ultimately your strategy needs to think about the future as well as the here and now. Don't develop something that has a bottleneck. A really good example of that is training. So, for example, if you roll out, um, let's say, bias awareness training or inclusive interviewing practices training to everyone in the business right now, it takes you two to three months to do that. Fantastic. That's great. However, were you not going to hire more people? What about your intended growth for the next year, two years, three years? How do you map that? Is the bottleneck then that you've trained everyone on workshops and so on, but actually you're intending to grow 1000 plus people in the next few years how can you map something like that so actually it's thinking about you know from a business perspective how do we continue to make an impact in a way that makes an impact as opposed to it fixes a sticky plaster onto a gaping wound and that's that's something that i think is really important and for us at valtech you know we're doing that now we're, we've developed that five pillar strategy we're starting to roll out initiatives globally in a nuanced way And we're starting to start to measure, you know, what's working and what isn't. And we'll keep a really close eye on that over the next few quarters so we can pivot if we need to. So when it comes to talking about making an impact, Cherie, how can we really ensure that that change is embedded and not viewed as gimmicky? And I'm talking both internally and externally. The last thing we want is for employees to feel like this is a gimmick. It's really important that it's clear that this is long-term change how can you make sure that happens 
Well, for us at Valtech, that's really what our accountability pillar is. It's really about doing what you're going to say that you're going to do, being very clear, open and transparent. Now, for us, that's really around open communication, open updates about what we're doing and what we're not doing and why, and keeping everyone in the loop. But also what's really key on that is who's responsible for this work, both success and failure. Now, my job obviously oversees all of that. As our global director, my job is creating the frameworks, the initiatives, etc., that we want to roll out, we want to measure, and we want to map in those local and different regions. But who in the business is also responsible for this? Now, with us and our structure, we have a lot of different managing directors for all of our different regions. Now, they obviously make the decisions as to what happens in those regions. So they play a really, really key role in this work, in the success of this work. Now, that's why when I joined M Valtech just this summer, I spent time with all of our 19 managing directors. Yes, that was 19 one hour calls within a month or a month and a half. Easy. Easy peasy, because <laughs> you know, diaries for senior leaders are never difficult. <laughs> Always free, wide open. Exactly. Um, but that meant that I was able to spend that time with them, understanding actually what, what have you been doing? If you've not been doing something, tell me why. And that's also fine because we could fix that. And what do you think is important? But also, what is the goal of the business that you oversee in the next year, two, five years, whatever it might be? And by doing that now, we've been able to embed a line of accountability down through the business and obviously upwards into our C-suite as well. So what's really important there is that we cannot say that we're going to change things and then not do them. We have to say and do what we say we're going to do. It's very easy, um, and you touched on it yourself, Tizzy, to have gimmicky statements, to put out bits and pieces that actually, you know what, at the end of the day, it doesn't make an impact. It's just nice words and pretty graphics. But what's really key is that we go deeper than that and that we recognize that we, we need to shift and change business strategy to be embedding diversity and inclusion. And that's what we're doing as well at Valtech at the moment as we all start to look at 2022 coming forward. What is it that we're aiming to do in the Americas and EMEA and APAC? And how do we ensure that inclusion and diversity is intertwined into that, especially with the scale that we have in mind? I mentioned in the introduction that you've recently published a book, which is mm. amazing, Demanding More. What was the driver behind creating the book? So what triggered you to say, okay, I need to put this on paper now. And what are your key takeaways? What would you give to the audience listening now if you were to give them key takeaways from that from that read? Although I should say they should go and buy it themselves. But if they're not to go and buy it themselves, what would be your key takeaways? That's a plug for you, Cherie. Thank you very, very much, Tizzy. I appreciate that. Um, I guess, firstly, the, the reason that I wrote the book, um, so I write quite a lot for Forbes, for Thomson Reuters and a number of other um, publications because I think it's really key that what we have in our heads or what's worthy that we have in our heads that we share it and for me you know I am good at what I do and I think I'm doing it in a really meaningful way and actually me keeping that to myself is not of use and when a publisher reached out to me last year at the start of the year you know I'd never intended on writing a book at that stage of my career I was 20 28 when they reached out to me or 29 sorry I hadn't intended on writing a book I intended maybe that was something I would do later on in my career but actually, when I sat down and I thought about it, 
you know, a book gives you an opportunity to really expand, to have, you know, many more words than you have in a, in a, in a Forbes piece or a blog piece. And so for me, when I decided to write it, what was really important to me was to change the conversation from being so dedicated to only what's happening in the workplace and also for it to be in a way that was relevant for everyone, regardless of whether you are a CEO, regardless of whether you are in management, whether you're even in the workforce, whatever whatever you were doing in your life, I felt like I wanted to write something that was relevant to you. And I remember when my publisher asked me, you know, what is the goal for the book? And I, my real line was, you know, my dad who was um, in his late 60s, who was working class and then ended up heavily disabled, so wasn't working for many, many years. I wanted him to be able to lift this book and read it and get something from it, regardless of the fact that, you know, he isn't in, um, you know, senior leadership or anything like that. And he doesn't need to be to make an impact. The impact for me is when we as people understand that how we exist in the world is very different for different people. And so with demanding more, you know, the, the, the subtitle of it is, you know, why diversity and inclusion doesn't happen and what you can do about it. What's really key there for me is actually I want people to recognize that we can change businesses, but we also need to change something very deep within each of us, myself included. And that's really rooted in privilege awareness for me. And this is something I talk about a lot as someone with a very nuanced background. I was adopted at three weeks old from Sri Lanka. I was raised by an Irish family. I grew up on free school meals, which in the UK is a state provided benefit. I then was able to go to university because I had the ability to get grants and bursaries and loans to be able to do that. But now I lead a very privileged life. You know, I have a partner I can talk about. I'm able to financially support my brother back home when I need to. We were able to buy our first house this year. And all of those things, for me, that nuance is really key. And so in demanding more, what I'm really trying to do is firstly get people to take the blinkers off and have some self-awareness, but really delve into that self-awareness. You know, how do I exist in the world? And why does, and this is the key part, the why, why does society greatly advantage some while simultaneously disadvantaging others in the same breath and I hope for people you know that that take away from the book that that's what they get um it was a really rewarding experience writing it but seeing people actually use it and embed it in training and to buy it for relatives and some and all of those things to to open up that conversation has been incredibly rewarding. So I'm really glad I wrote it, even though I wrote it throughout the global pandemic, <laughs> which was an experience, but certainly a worthwhile one. I think you made some really great points there, but also what stands out for me is the fact that this isn't a management issue. This isn't a top leadership issue. This is something that everyone needs to embrace as something that everyone yeah. can work, no matter what your role is, what, what level of seniority you have. This is for everybody. And on that note, finally, you know, do you think change is happening? And if not, what can businesses do to really make a difference now? And if you could leave them with one message, what would it be? I always say um, I've been doing this work for over 10 years now and I've held lots of different senior roles. And I always say if I am not optimistic about change, I would be a very miserable person right now because it is exhausting and there is a lot to fix. However, I do genuinely think that we are at a pivotal moment of change right now. The global pandemic has shown us about very clearly the gaps of inequity that many of us already knew existed, but those that were privileged enough to disregard them 
are now also aware of them. Now, what I think is really important here is that we learn from the last year and a half, two years, that we do not make the same mistakes again, that we do not go back to just the way things were, that we remember that disability inclusion, that ethnicity inclusion, that gender inclusion and so on, the intersection of those with class background and social socioeconomic background changes the impact that everything has, how we exist. And I do genuinely think that many businesses, many people and people as a whole are recognising that. I do think there is a shift But my call to action to businesses is do not lose that momentum just because things might feel like they're fizzling out because passion, passionate and being passionate is a finite resource. Do not let this fizzle out. Set your pillars now. Set someone who is accountable for this. And even if it means that you only do one thing per quarter, even one thing a year, that is still better than you sitting and doing nothing. Because actually, to be very honest, We cannot leave the world the way it is. We have to do something now and not later because we can't continue to have something and a society that rewards so many people and takes away from so many others simply because of those different issues. And that means really difficult conversations, holding your hands up, being accountable and moving forward with purpose. Cherie, thank you so much for joining the podcast and for taking us through all of that and excited to see what the result of all of the huge amount of work that you're doing here at Valtec and elsewhere results in. So thank you so much again and we'll chat to you soon. Thank you so much, Tizzy. Lovely to be on. You've been listening to the latest transformation series from Valtec Cafe. Hit subscribe to get access to our whole back catalogue of conversations. And if you'd like to know more about what we do, why not visit us at valtic.com for all the details. Until next time, thanks for listening.